But if you take it to the nth degree, if you're the first one there and the last one to leave, if you're the guy that gets on the plane with them, you go that extra mile, they will too. Hey, what's going on? You're listening to the Live Leaderly Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Alba. Here on the show, we invite guests from all walks to share their stories about leadership, which just become stories about life. I ask that with the people in your life, please tell your story, listen to theirs, but in the meantime, we'll do it together. Here on the Live Leaderly Podcast. And joining us on the show today, top 10 of 10 MBAs at Cornell University, number one in class in his MHA class at the University of Southern California, and leader in harm reduction therapy and addiction recovery, Bill Dully. Bill, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good, Darren. Thank you for having me. Uh, very, very thankful to have you on. Where are you calling in from today? Uh, Old Saybrook, Connecticut. In Connecticut. Okay, great. Well, uh, very excited to have you on the show because I, I know you worked for many, many years at both Upper Duck and Donruss. And as a card collector myself, I, I wanted to ask you if you have a, a more, a most sentimental card in, in your own personal collection. Uh, I do. I, I have actually two cards. Um, in 19, or excuse me, in 2000, uh, after we came out of the baseball strike uh, at Upper Deck, and we were one of the only trading card companies to survive and actually thrive after that. We did an employee card, and it's a Michael Jordan jersey card. Only 225 of them were done, and the only people that have them are as if you were an employee of Upper Deck during that time. Um, so the Jordan jersey card, the employee card is number one. And number two at Donruss, we did the 1924 Babe Ruth jersey card. And his daughter, Julia Ruth Stevens, who just recently passed away, got the number one card. And the employees gave me the number two card. So the Jordan jersey card and the Babe Ruth jersey card are my two favorite cards. Wow. Do you keep up with the uh, with the hobby and still collect to this day? Uh, you know, actually, I don't collect. Everything that I have are personal mementos from the athletes. Like Michael Jordan gave me a game-used bat from his White Sox days. Uh, Tiger Woods signed a master's flag for me. Uh, Shaq gave me a pair of his shoes. Um, so I don't collect cards, but I collect game-used and personal mementos of all the people I've worked with over the years. And yes, I do still keep up with it. It's quite a lot of fun to see the work that I did in the early days come back and sell for such high values. Yeah. So thank you for your work. And uh, I'm I'm someone who has, has benefited and enjoyed the hobby uh, thanks to people like you. So thank you so much, Bill. Uh, another question I did want to ask is if you had a first memory of leadership, maybe when you were a kid or a teenager, do you remember what that was for you? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, in hindsight, being perfect 2020, um, I, I was a leader as a kid uh, and took the leadership roles early, like early, meaning like at eight, nine, 10 and 11. You know, uh, I had a lot of self-confidence. I'd go anywhere. If we were going to go fishing at five in the morning, I'd be the first one out the door. I'd be meeting everyone down the street and we would go off and, and, and spend the whole day unsupervised exploring and walking through brooks and streams and, and reservoirs and fishing. And um, we would problem solve anything that we could, any problem we ran into, what we could find around us is what we used to solve the problems. So like when we played stickball, we literally played stickball with a broom handle from an old stick that we found in the garage and a baseball went out and became very good at playing baseball. I was very social. Like I loved being with other people. Little, little did I know that was early teamwork uh, loved being with my friends, loved having four or five of us trying to decide what we're going to do for the day and then going and do it. And then we were, I was always independent. 
Um, you know, if I didn't want to do something, I wouldn't do it, but I would go find another group of people to do something different. I had no problem transcending boundaries. I didn't see life as being small. Um, it really helped me in the military when I was in the Navy, because in the military, you've got to improvise and solve problems all the time. So in my two deployments to the Persian Gulf and the South China Sea, that independence and that ability to use what was in front of me and uh, not being afraid really paid off. So I think it started early in my life. Well, just playing with your friends, hanging out with your friends, enjoying that that time together. But Wizzle, did you know those experiences and, and some of the traits you developed would be uh, things you'd be doing later, later on in, in different settings? I did, did want to ask if you could share a little more about where you're from, Bill, and, and uh, more about your background, too. Large Irish Catholic family. There's eight of us born and raised in Connecticut. Uh, Jesuit educated, Fairfield Prep and Fairfield University. Uh, joined the Navy right after college. Um, surprisingly, got... Uh, uh, deployed to the Straits of Hormuz almost 90 days in. Uh, we were with the USS Stark and the John A. Moore, um, and uh, everyone got attacked. Uh, we lost four guys on our ship. The Stark lost 36. The John A. Moore lost three, I think. Um, then uh, did a second deployment uh, in the Gulf and the South China Sea, and then got out and then got recalled for Desert Storm in 1991. Got the letter in the mail that, to be ready to go back. Uh, and then sat around for 19 months and the orders never came. I did not have to go for a third. I was ready though. I would have, I would have gladly gone, but I, I did not have to go. I was a young production manager for champion products in East LA, making sweatshirts and uh, team uniforms. Um, got recruited into Upper Deck in 1993 as the director of Upper Deck Authenticated. Became chief operating officer of worldwide operations in 1995. Uh, during the uh, during the baseball strike and worked there for 10 years. We went from 91 million to 285 million a year in sales, brought Yu-Gi-Oh to the company and the country in 2002 with a guy named John Sepinek, who just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and Upper Deck was over a billion dollars a year in 2003. Bondi Toy Company from Japan owned it and sold it to an individual investor. And I got unceremoniously let go at four o'clock in the morning by lawyers Went to work uh, at Donruss shortly thereafter. I'm the only uh, trading card executive uh, in history to be number one in baseball and football in sales and awards for two different companies at two different times. No one else has ever done that in the history of trading cards. 2008, uh, Donruss was a bank workout. I got hired by Frost Bank. Uh, we brought it back to profitability and gave it to the uh, uh, back to the owner. Um, I left and went back to uh, graduate school to pursue uh, healthcare degrees so I could work in harm recovery and addiction recovery. And I've done that for the last 20 years. Been a big crusader for anti-smoking. Uh, combustible cigarettes are real harmful. I'd like to see Marlboro's banned, not nicotine though. So I've been working in the um, synthetic nicotine space and the electronic nicotine delivery services end of the industry, FDA approved and a pre-market tobacco application is in for scientific review. We're one of the only companies called Air Factory that is able to do that. Uh, my, my main work uh, was on the Vapor Technology Association. I was on the board of directors and we were the driving force to get the smoking age raised to 21 to help keep all nicotine products out of kids' hands. Um, schooling, I went to UCLA and got another uh, uh, continuing ed degree in the psychology, psychology of addiction in 2013. 
2015, I got my uh, master's in health administration from USC. And in 2018, I finished my MBA at Cornell. And I did that because in the new technology, you've got to understand the capital markets. And the more I understood about how money flowed with my operational background, the more I've been able to get accomplished. So that brings me up to today. I'm 59 and my best years are ahead of me. And they're constantly learning, just gaining education and learning along the way. Never-ending uh, journey of, of learning. I did want to ask because you, you spent a good chunk of your, your time in sports memorabilia and also in, um, in healthcare. How did you find these purposes and passions and decide that those were the things that you were going to do and those were the things you were going to roll with? Well, sports, I, I kind of fell into it, um, got out of the Navy, and I just happened to get, get a job with Champion. There, there was a little luck there, but I was prepared. I was the ship's accountant and had run warehouses and production facilities in the Navy. So no problem there. And then in healthcare, it was an, it was a, a avocation for uh, 20 years. Um, so I wanted to make it a, a, my vocation. So I consciously went in, but both of them, I chose what I loved. Uh, one of the secrets to leadership and to anyone out there that wants to be a leader in work, do what you love first. If you don't have a passion for it, it makes it harder to really excel in it. If you have a passion for it, it doesn't matter how much money you make or where you start or what you do, what company you do it in, you're going to get to the top. So do what you love. And I've always done what I loved. I've always done what you've loved. You worked your way from, from bottom to top. If you could go back to that, that younger or earlier bill, what kind of leadership advice do you think would have been beneficial for you back then that, uh, that you know now? So, so to be a leader, first, you've got to show up, right? You got to have a spirit of volunteerism. And I had that. Maybe it was from the military. Maybe it was from the Jesuits where they teach you you're a man for others and it's all about service. So I had that spirit of volunteerism. Then you've got to connect. You've got to be focused. You've got to be involved in what's happening in front of you. You've got to be processing. And what's going on in front of you is the most important thing that's happening to you, right? And then what you got to do is never quit. I wish in the middle one, uh, I would give myself the advice of saying, be more aware of how much you're learning. For whatever reason, I, I had the spirit of volunteerism. I, I was the chief operating officer of Upper Deck Worldwide Operations, a $300 million a year company at the age of 33. Okay, so I got there early. But for whatever reason, I always thought that I was not as valuable as the older guys that I was working around or the people with 20 years experience. And little did I realize I was. I went to work 15 minutes early and stayed 15 minutes late every day for 10 years. For some reason, I couldn't figure out why I got promoted. In hindsight, now I look back, I was the most capable one to do the job because I put the time in. And I didn't know how to give myself that credit. So I would have, I would have hoped that I, you know, my advice would be step out of yourself and from an objective criteria, really look at what you're doing. Don't listen to other people's opinions. Don't listen to mentors because they're really only competitors. Step outside of it and really val evaluate objectively where you're at. And I would like to do that better when I was younger. I think I would have done even more. Go back and evaluate what you're doing, kind of cut through the noise and evaluate what you're doing. Show up, have that spirit, that connection, and that never quit attitude. Um, along the way, from your best leaders, what kinds of things would they do that, that really resonated with you or that you really appreciated that you've tried to pass forward um, as part of your leadership styles? You know, over the years, I've worked with the most famous people in the world from James Gandolfini, Matt Damon, Michael Jordan, uh, Dan Marino, Joe Montana. I can go down the list, but there were there, there are three 
moments in my career uh, that really stand out. The first one was I was with Jerry West. So I'm a young 31-year-old director of Upper Deck Authenticated, and we were uh, traveling to Tennessee, and he was the keynote speaker for service merchandises managers meeting. We had a great time. Jerry West is an incredible person. And he looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, pay attention to being a leader. He said, if you're, if you're a true leader and you arrive at an organization, people are going to be following you. They're going to, if you like football, they're going to be talking about football Monday morning because they want to connect with you. They're going to cut their hair like you. They're going to, they're going to have lunch the same time as you. They're going to meet up on the, on similar interests. You're going to watch the same TV shows or talk about the same things. And he said, it's going to be flattering and don't fall for that. What they're doing is they're watching you every minute of the day. And if you slack off, they'll slack off. If you cut a corner, they'll cut a corner. But if you take it to the nth degree, if you're the first one there and the last one to leave, if you're the guy that gets on the plane with them to make the extra account call and you go that extra mile, they will too. So Jerry taught me as a leader, you're being watched all the time. And you, and that was very true. The second one was Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan taught me first to be on time. Michael, Michael Jordan was never late, ever. If he said, you be there at two o'clock and you've got one hour of my time, he meant it, right? And then when Michael would show up and walk in the door, he was ready and prepared and connected. He knew what he was there to do. And then third, he was going to do it at the highest measure and the highest quality. He was competitive in everything that he did, but he was professional and thorough. Michael Jordan never did anything half measured. Now, to work with him for 10 years like I did, he demanded that out of me. Okay. And then I carried that into uh, Upper Deck Company and Donruss. And that's why we were number one in both uh, football and baseball during the two different periods. And one caveat there, Michael has an older brother, Larry, who worked for us at Upper Deck. And Larry Jordan was the epitome of humility. He never used his name to get anything done. He was respected throughout the organization and throughout the marketplace. And Larry was the same. He was timely, he was topical, and he was connected. The Jordan brothers are two of the best people I've ever worked with. And then third at USC, I had a professor, uh, Michael Harris, been in healthcare for 40 years. Uh, professor Harris was just a brilliant healthcare leader. And he would say two things all the time. As a leader in an organization, what you acknowledge and what you ignore, you condone. And he would warn us all the time about what you ignore. What you ignore, meaning, let's say you have an employee that has, is a poor performer. And employees perform poorly for three reasons, lack of tools, lack of training, or attitude. Okay? So as a leader, if you know that they've got the tools and the training, it's an attitude problem. And if you leave it in the organization, it lowers the productivity of everybody else and people lose respect for you as the leader. So what you acknowledge, your mission, your values, you know, the company goals, people see that. It's very clear and they'll aspire to it. But what you ignore, they don't talk about and they aspire to it to the same level and it can be just as damaging. So those are the three leadership rules that I was taught by those three people that really helped me. Wow. That sounds like very, very impactful people in your life. Jerry West, 
Michael Jordan, and then uh, Professor Harris out at USC. Great, great lessons there. Did want to transition to another theme of the show. It's, it's kind of our guiding theme. Can anyone learn to lead? So throughout your career, having both followers and, and leaders above you, how do you approach that question, Bill? Can anyone learn to lead? Yes, anyone can learn to lead. It's unequivocal. It's an absolute truth in my life. First, you've got to go to the place that you need to to develop the skills, and that's in the flow of life. That's in your job, in your community, in your family, with your children. And it doesn't matter if you're a mid-level manager, a CEO, a coach, uh, you know, on the student council, in the boardroom, you have to be in the flow of the life. That's where you learn to lead. Because leading and learning is all about first, that spirit of volunteerism. Volunteer for everything. Don't overextend yourself. Stay focused. You can do three things in life well, and God's going to be somewhere in all of those three, right? So you can do family, work, and golf, or family, uh, work, and Girl Scouts, right? Focus yourself, but volunteer and be involved. And then two, add in a spirit of selflessness, okay? If you're going to volunteer, do it for the only reason is that you want to participate. You don't want a reward back. You don't want money. You don't want a trophy. You want to do it because you want to participate and collaborate with people. That's where the magic of leadership happens. That the interaction, the physical management of me talking to you, one person talking to another, is where your skills will be honed, where your vision will be um, extended, and where your life will progress, right? And then third, if you do that, the equation is there's no fear. There's no fear. I've seen people shrink from the most important moments in their career because they were afraid to take that step forward. They didn't understand that participation and volunteerism would advance their career and their life. But if you have those two, the result is you have no fear. And when that opportunity comes, you step right into it. And I can actually see that a few times in my life. That spirit of volunteerism and that spirit of selflessness. And you have, have, if you have those, then you have that that element of no fear that you can you can take on your challenges. Well, Bill, we're, we're close to wrapping up here shortly, but I did want to uh, give some time back to you if there was anything else you wanted to, uh, to add to the podcast before we close out. Sure. You know what? I can only recognize things in other people that I have in myself, right? And one of the people I admired the most, he was the most incredible leader and, and person that I'd ever run into and the most perceptive individual in my whole 40 years of business and school. And that was Julius Irving, Dr. J, the Hall of Fame basketball player. Dr. J's emotional IQ was off the charts. This guy would walk into the room and there could be three people or a hundred people. And he would be able to size up that room in literally a couple of seconds. And when you met him and he shook your hand, he would look right into the content of your character and he could see the kind of person that you were. And from there, you could see Dr. J make those qualitative decisions in his mind on how far he was going to participate and work with you, right? And for me, fortunately, I obviously must have had a high content of character because he ended up being our basketball spokesman from 2000 to 2002 at Upper Deck. I got to golf with him. Uh, He met customers. He met collectors. And just his ability to read people was second to none. And he shared some of the secrets with me, like a person will look you in the eye. They'll talk about first person, never use third person. They'll talk very little about themselves and they'll get you to talk more about yourselves. And so Dr. J was just one of my role models 
and just one of my heroes in life, just an incredible guy. And I was lucky to work with him for two years. Now, as a, uh, a big sports fan, it's uh, incredible that I, I get to see the product on the floor, which is the sports that we love, but you've been able to learn leadership lessons in person from them. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story and your, and your thoughts. Really appreciate it, Bill. Thank you, Darren. Our guest today, Bill Dully, and for all those out there listening, this has been the Live Leaderly Podcast. <laughs>